This is the Kavnis HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Kavnis. Hello, and welcome to Kavnis HR Podcast. Our guest today is Matt Burns. Matt, are you ready to be great today? Absolutely. Matt Burns, nearly 20-year corporate journey, has taken him around the world, supporting companies with operations in North America, Europe, Asia, and South America. He is presently the head of HR for a global retailer and leads a team that was recently recognized for the most innovative use of HR technology in Canada. Matt is also in the midst of a mid-career renaissance. He is passionate about innovation and, and knows things need to change in the corporate world. He is, in his own words, a recovering corporate hack. Having recently discovered that his true passions lie not in personal success, but engaging in, in enabling the success of others. He has documented his experiences using his enrollment in an international executive MBA program as a backdrop for a transform transformative change journey that began this past summer in Vancouver. We recently took him to San Paulo, future stops in Mexico City in January, and Nashville this spring in April. Our sure to cite further learnings, conversation, debates. Matt, you got a lot going on. It's amazing how once you go from the transition to personal success to success for others, how much you just actually grow and you actually get a whole lot more by doing that. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. But Matt, what's going on in your life right now? What's keeping you busy? I, like you said before, I mean, just hearing that introduction, Jason, first off, thanks for the opportunity to speak with you today. I'm exhausted just hearing that introduction. I mean, I'm living it, but I can tell you, it sounds like a lot. You know, what's going on with me these days is a lot. I'm working right now as the head of HR for an organization called Yesk here in Canada and supporting the HR team there. As you mentioned as well, working towards an executive MBA and upcoming trips in Mexico City in about two weeks and then Nashville in April. Matt, for people in college right now and they want a career in HR, what advice would you give these people? That's a great question. I actually speak to a lot of either soon-to-be grads or recent grads in the space. Uh, and I think it ties into the broader mission that I'm working with right now, which is I think the HR profession needs an overhaul. You know, I've been in the industry now for just over 15 years, 20 years in business in total. And I'm wondering whether or not our function is relevant, given all the other changes that have occurred in the space, whether it's technology, whether it's the future of work. I'm wondering whether or not we are relevant. And I ask that because I find that we're not able to deliver the full level of service that our companies need, given our current infrastructure as HR professionals. When I talk to young grads, what I'm saying is come into new businesses and challenge the current status quo. Challenge our ways of thinking. If we are doing things that does, do not make sense for you know, a younger generation, which is the, you know, the future workforce, you got to tell us, you know, sometimes you can be in an organization for so long, you can sometimes can't see the forest through the trees. So for young folks joining the industry, it's about recognizing that they too have value to bring to the conversation and that their diversity of thinking can really ultimately lead to a much stronger HR team. And then secondly, because I know HR can be sometimes a tough industry to get involved with to begin with, it's about building relationships. I mean, HR is a relationship business. Uh, as a function, we have to influence without authority all of the time. So as an HR leader who's up and coming, I would want to see demonstrated success where you've been able to influence, build relationships, help support your fellow HR folks in anticipation of applying for jobs. So Matt, that goes to the next question. In my mind, there's an old HR and new HR. Old HR, you know, all about saying no, that, you know, administrative, old school, the answer is always no. New HR is like, you know, find a way to say yes, Add value. What is it going to take to get these the people who will practice old HR to come to the new HR? Is it a matter of like fade out and retire and you know go away, or how do we 
I hope I hope not. I mean, again, for the same reasons, I think it's important to have perspectives from fresh grads or new people into the HR industry. I think it's really important to get the perspectives of those who've been in the industry 25, 30, 35 years. So I wouldn't want those folks to retire en masse and, and take with them all that historical knowledge and cultural information. At the same time, I think they need to understand that the future of work is shifting, that the function is shifting both you know, underneath our feet on a day-to-day basis, and that they have a role to help us transition in a responsible way going forward. So I, I think for those folks, really, it's about taking an opportunity to have you know, a seat at the table and to influence the kind of the future shape of human resources. Uh, I think the way we do that is it's an interesting conversation because I face a similar challenge in my current organization. When I joined, we were eight HR individuals in the department. We're now 22. With the original uh, eight folks, there was a perception and a concern that perhaps there'd be challenges around adapting and, and moving forward with the new model of operating in HR. So what we first did was we allayed any fears that they would have around change. We made sure they understood they were going to be supported throughout the change process so that they felt they had a place in the new future of the department. And I think that really is a microcosm for the broader conversation, which is you have to make those folks who are experienced, whether it's six weeks or 35 years, they have to feel like they're part of the change and that they're a welcome voice at the table. And I think if you do that, I think we would remove a lot of resistance and likely we would see more innovation today. Yes, Matt. So let's say somebody's out there on LinkedIn, they see your post and, they, and they're like, man, I want to work for this guy. How would the person get in touch with you and, and try to impress you to try to come work for you? What do we need you to do? Uh, I think, generally speaking, uh, I'm a bit of a unique situation in that I want people to reach out to me directly. So I have a very active LinkedIn profile page. I'm engaged on the site seven days a week. If you want to talk with me, just engage with me directly. I'm happy to have a conversation, whether it's to talk about a career, whether it's to talk about advice, perspective, and I'm always happy to give an opinion. What I'm looking for for HR professionals in our business is really a couple things. So I believe HR should be sitting at the junction between technology and culture. So I want people to understand that difference and they have something to add to that perspective. And what I mean by that, I don't need someone to have 10 or 15, 20 years of experience. I need someone to have an open learning mindset that will allow them to understand the way we're going and evolution. I want someone to feel comfortable and have a strong voice to bring to the table. And I want individuals to understand that ultimately innovation and success within culture is going to drive the success of your organizations. So that's really important to me. I'm a firm believer, Jason, in finding really, really talented, cool, interesting people that can add value. And then I make jobs for them. So if you talk to people here in my department, you'll find that nobody really has a traditional HR job. They all kind of have hybrid roles where we've capitalized on the needs of the organization, but also their unique skill sets and what they bring to the table. Because ultimately, I think that leads to them bringing more value to the organization, which ultimately benefits the company. So Matt, you talked a little bit about how you did did a change to the paperless HR. How much perfect did you receive from the other departments in your company? Not a lot. I mean, I'm very lucky. I have a very supportive board, a very supportive senior management team here in the organization, and the other departments in the in the business were very, very supportive. I mean, there was some curiosity, of course, because we were the first one to go. And generally, in most organizations, HR is not the hub of innovation. So there were some people that were curious to see how our progress would go. Uh, but we had lots of fans along the way and lots of support as as it was required. So we were very lucky. Matt, can you talk about the process you used to, to select your HRS or your HR tech that you use? Absolutely. I mean, a couple things for me. There were some macro concerns that I wanted to make sure were addressed. So for me, first off, if the end state was going to be automation and paperless, we had to make sure that our systems had a couple things. The first one was that they had to have APIs, which for those who aren't familiar with the term means APIs integrate two systems together. It essentially is the, the pipe or the tether that links two systems. And what it does in practical terms is 
as you enter information, let's say into your HRIS, it would then flow automatically to all of your other systems like your LMS or to your ATS, things of that nature. So those APIs reduce the amount of administration and data entry dramatically. And we implemented five systems last year. We only do data entry into one. The other systems just automatically feed up in terms of that process. The second thing we did in terms of uh, criteria was we wanted single sign-on. And that was really a, a byproduct of discussions we had had with our IT department. We were very strong partners with IT throughout the entire process. And they said to us up front, Matt, if, if we can get single sign-on these systems, it would allow us to do two things. First off, make the user experience much more pleasant because they're not going to have to remember another username and password. And I don't know about you, Jason, but I can't remember the ones that I have, let alone five new ones. So that was a big benefit for those users. And secondly, it, it made IT's life a lot easier because they weren't managing then 7,500 new username and passwords. Because as you can imagine, that's a lot of help desk tickets for I lost my password and you reset my username, et cetera, et cetera. So by having single sign-on functionality, we were allowed to, to meet those needs. And, and most providers fortunately have that flexibility. Uh, the third criteria we had was we wanted organizations working with us that were going to scale and grow. So the, the big, I think the unique thing, Jason, about what we did was we could have gone out and bought an enterprise solution. There are lots of really good providers out there that, that provide entire total suite solutions where the integrations are already built in. The challenge we had was those enterprise solutions generally have a single way of operation and they want you as a business to change your processes to fit the system. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe I'm old school, Jason, in that regard, but I feel like when you cut somebody a check, you should get some say in what the final product looks like. So we wanted to work with vendors that were going to scale with us, grow with us, apply our feedback, and also give us some good challenges where it made sense if we can improve our business. So those are three things that stood out for us right off the bat that we wanted to look at with all systems. And then from there, it came down to things like functionality and what made sense for us as a business going forward. But those were some of the, the larger criteria we looked at. Yes, a lot of times I don't think people realize how important the user experience is. You know, they build a product or they don't realize, you know, like you're making somebody go through four or five different clicks and it's just it's frustrating and they don't realize how important that is. Technology for us, Jason, is about adoption. So I think I would say, my opinion is that most technologies that we've bought work, they work just fine. The challenge we've had in the past has been adoption of technologies. We're asking people to change routines. They've been staring at the same screen for three or four or five or 10 years. And now we've changed that for them and change is hard. When you have a full-time job, it's difficult to carve out time to learn a new process, a new system, a new routine. So we tried to make things as easy as possible throughout the entire process for our users so that we would increase the rate of adoption and therefore reduce the entire life cycle of the project. We wouldn't have to go back as much and have to re you know, reiterate and, and retrain and those processes. It's also the reason why we had really strong feedback mechanisms throughout the entire project. Our end users helped consult with respect to the final product. They helped during the pilot gave us great feedback that we were able to apply in the final product for the systems. And then ultimately, they were we engaged them all upon launch. And then we still engage them now post-launch to get their feedback, what's working, what's not, and how can we further enhance the systems to make it easier for them? Because ultimately, that is the measure of success when it comes to technology. Well, I heard the same one time somebody said, I'm all for change as long as it doesn't involve me. <laughs> I think we're all a little bit guilty of that at times. And I think that uh, it's completely understandable. When you have a lot on your plate, as most of us do these days, change is something else. And sometimes it's not always welcome. So our goal in human resources, really, you mentioned it before, you know, the function is known for saying no. I think it's a lot about containment in the past. What we're about now is enablement. And that means making things easier, making things more accessible for our colleagues. And that means that our systems have to reflect that culture. Yes. Matt, next, can you talk about a time you were successful in the past, what you learned from the success and what, what our listeners can learn from this? Yeah, absolutely. I think I just touched on the example. So, you know, the opportunity to 
pilot, procure, implement, and then integrate five different HR systems in a single year was a phenomenally aggressive, but also rewarding project. And we had a really good team here at YESC helping us with the project. The individual systems was managed and the implementation was managed by a systems owner who was an HR subject matter expert. So they were bought in from the very early stage process and they controlled and managed that whole life cycle of that project. That was a real big success for us. Um, in addition, the recognition that we received after the award for most innovative use of technology as a result of our efforts was really rewarding from a branding perspective, from an employment brand perspective. A lot of people didn't know who YISC was before that, didn't know that we were an organization that was worth you know, looking for in terms of jobs, buying products. So that was really rewarding. We were able to really cascade our business using that recognition as a vehicle for doing so. So I would say that the learning I had was as an HR function, sometimes we can be guilty of, of too much modesty. There's a lot of great things happening in HR departments around the world. I wish that we would take more of an opportunity as a function to share those with other people, because I think there's really good best practices that can be leveraged all over the globe. Yes. I have to imagine that once you won the award, you had a lot of more uh, people reaching out to you and trying to, you know, I can imagine your applicant increased it tremendously. Yeah, it, it did. And I would say it increased even further when I put out a recent video for a change management position that we have yeah, here. In the I remember, yeah, I remember that. I shared it on my LinkedIn as well. No, I appreciate that. I mean, that had great traction. And really the methodology behind that was when you're on LinkedIn, most people are sending out written content. I want to make things interesting and add a bit of dynamic and show a bit of personality. I would say that the current applicant tracking process for most jobs is really impersonal. And I applied on jobs in the last few years before I took this position. And I felt like I was throwing my resume down a bunch of dark wells and not hearing back from a lot of people, despite the fact that I'm in the industry. And I think I'm a, a pretty strong candidate for most jobs that I apply for. That being said, I don't think that's a, a function of you know, a lack of respect. I think it's just a function of volume and the fact that we're focusing more now on efficiencies than we are on the personal relationship. So I'm trying to bring the swing the pendulum back to more of a human focus on human resources and doing so want to create a bit more accessibility through that job postings. So people could say, hey, this is a guy who works for the company. Here's somebody I might be working with in the future. Do I like this? Yes or no? And I can make more of an informed decision around whether I want to throw my hat in the ring. So that had a great amount of success, Jason, and we're going to do more of that in the future in this organization to continue to break down the wall with our applicants and what we're doing in our organization. We think we have a great story to tell, and therefore we want to tell it loudly. Yes, man. And talking about HR being humble, I think our challenge is we'll do 100 things, 99 things like very well, one not so well. We'll focus on the not so well and talk about that instead of, you know, hey, focus on whatever we did well. And that's definitely the thing we got to get over. Yeah, I think we have to, I think we have to, as a group, understand that our success will be driven by the impact we have on a go forward basis. And to do that, we have to focus in on the things that really bring value to our organizations and where we have successes. I think we need to celebrate because again, I agree with you hundred percent, Jason. I think we are guilty in HR of helping everybody else before we help ourselves. That's just how we're wired. We like to help people. We generate value from helping people succeed. But I think ultimately, if we achieve our own success through our own efforts and we're able to share that success, you can ultimately have a much bigger impact, which is, I think, as an HR professional, should be the goal. Yes. Matt, can you talk about someone who's helped in the past and how they helped you? Man, I, that's a tough question because there's probably hundreds and hundreds of people. I think most recently, I've been really impressed by the overall LinkedIn community. You know, I've been trying the LinkedIn game for about three months since winning the award. I've been more active on the, the site. I'm on there probably six, seven days a week and engaging with hundreds, if not thousands of people. I've been so impressed with the amount of people who just are grateful and 
complementary and just want to collaborate and add value. That to me was a real shock. I expected people that would be more self-interested as a higher percentage, but I found very little of that. There's actually a lot of people that want to collaborate. And for me, that's had a really big impact on reinforcing the values that are important to me. You know, I love shared success. I love relationships that have mutual beneficial uh, value there. So to see that really kind of spurred me on to do more of that. And I found that what it's led me to do actually is be more aggressive in pursuing mutually beneficial partnerships, which ultimately has helped catapult our success even further. Matt, you've done a lot of traveling around the world as an HR professional. What's been your favorite location so far? Oh, it's like asking my favorite kid. I think there's so many great spots. I mean, I've enjoyed, most recently I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I am absolutely in love with that country. The amount of energy and passion and enthusiasm they have for absolutely everything that they do to me is just intoxicating. Uh, I was telling someone, Jason, recently that when I got off the plane and landed in Sao Paulo, I felt almost a hum or a buzz the entire time that I was in Brazil. It never went away until I left the country because there's just that much energy and passion and enthusiasm. And I love that. I've also had great times other countries. There's been a lot of time in Canada, a lot of time in the United States and love those countries as well for their own reasons. But most recently, the one that sticks with me is my recent experience in October in uh, Brazil. Yes. Matt, did I ask you about the time you failed? You didn't, but okay. I'm expecting you to ask me that. Yeah, I skipped that one. <laughs> so talk about time you failed, what you learned and what we can learn from this. Yeah, I think I think it's a good news story. I talked about the uh, the recent project. I think, you know, as I learn myself, this for me has been a really eye-opening experience in terms of leading an HR function. I, for me, it was the first time to build an HR function from the ground up. You know, my previous leadership roles in HR, I inherited a, already a finished product and was asked to either restructure it or redesign it. But to build one from the ground up was really, really interesting. Um, and what I learned through that process and the mistake that I made was I probably didn't do a good enough job thinking through the... Plan B, if things didn't go well, I had what I thought was a really solid plan. That was a two-year strategy. Uh, But ultimately, along the way, as things tend to happen, we had some delays and we had some setbacks. And I don't know that our plan was nimble enough to allow for that upfront. We did course correct about halfway through the year last year and made some important changes that ultimately led to the success of the project. But I wish upfront I would have spent more time thinking through possible alternate scenarios. And we've applied that methodology going forward to make sure we don't find ourselves in the same spot. In your position... Can you tell us, like, what's your breakdown? Like, what percentage you spend on your actual HR position, talking to executives, mentoring yeah. your people, and, like, doing other things to take up your yeah. time? Yeah, you know, the, the thing I love about my job most, Jason, is that every day is a little bit different. And I tend to apply approach as such that, you know, where there's the biggest need, that's where I will spend my time. But absent of any kind of urgent items, I like to rotate my time in various functions of the HR department. And I'll spend time with each of the groups. So, you know, for instance, I've been spending a lot of time recently with employee relations and working a lot with them on engagement and other strategies for 2018 about how we can better engage and communicate with our hourly colleagues in the business. I've also spent a bit of time lately with our talent function because we have a, a real aggressive growth strategy and that's going to be predicated on succession. So I tend to spend my time where it's most needed and to do so by coaching, enabling, removing barriers, and just adding some passion and enthusiasm and some energy behind some initiatives that we have. So I try my best to spend my time equally, but ultimately I do go where the business needs me most. Yes, Matt. Can you tell us something about yourself that most people don't know? Of course, your close family, close friends know this, but most people don't know this about Matt Burns. Yeah, I think a good question. I think for me, you know, I would just say that the passion that I bring to my profession is a passion that extends throughout my entire life. One thing that people probably wouldn't know about me is that I can be quite impulsive when it comes to things like travel. So a couple on a couple of occasions, I've actually gone down to the airport without a plane ticket with a bag packed and went to the ticket counter and said, I have this much money. Where can I go and when's the closest flight? And there's actually a couple of cool experiences where I was able to go down there and get tickets to places like Denver and great cities like that and spend a few days there 
really with no plan. There's something inherently unique about landing in a city and not having a hotel and having to book it when you get there. I love the kind of the flexibility, adaptability of that. I think it challenges me in unique and interesting ways. And I think that's something people don't know about me. That's great. That's something I would do. Matt, great. can you share your social media links or platforms for yourself or your company so people can reach out to you? Absolutely. I think we talked about it a couple of times, Jason. I'm really bullish on LinkedIn. So if people want to find me, they can see me at Matt Burns at LinkedIn. Can't miss me. If you're looking for me, I'm very, very active and you'll see my uh, wonderful smiling face. It's my profile photo. Matt, so we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you provide any last minute advice or wisdom to either HR professionals or anyone else? Absolutely. I think first off, I think as a profession, as I mentioned before, we have some room to move as all professions do to realize that we have an impact on the future of work. And I think that as a profession, we have to look in the mirror at where we have opportunities and we need to be open to the idea of innovating and sharing our best practices with other individuals. So when I'm in Mexico City in two weeks, you'll see me doing that. I'm actually going to be producing and sharing short and long form content on my LinkedIn page. And I'll be engaging with professionals locally in Mexico City to share their stories, to share their best practices, their opportunities, and tips and tricks that they have from the local domestic Mexican market with the global world. And that's a pattern I hope to continue throughout 2018 as I attempt to connect people from around the globe to, again, share those best practices in an attempt to move the overall HR profession forward globally. Thank you for doing that, Matt. Matt, thank you for being a guest on the Cabinet's HR Podcast. Really appreciate you really doing lots of stuff for the HR profession and everyone appreciates that, everything you're doing. I appreciate the time, Jason. Thanks so much. So listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again and be great every day.